Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Madison, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMadison.com. We have a uh, special visiting uh, preacher this morning. Everybody, say hi to Pastor Will Chester. Uh, we love Will. Will is, you can see yourself here as long as you're in the, uh, the frame, yeah. yeah. So just don't preach over there or anything, yeah. Good, good, good. Um, Will is a dear friend of our congregation. Uh, Will's the youth pastor at Church of the Resurrection, which is our cathedral church in the Chicago area. Um, but Will also has connections to lots of folks in our church, even outside of Chicago and in Madison and Wisconsin. And he's a Michigander, which is better than somebody from Illinois, so uh, to Wisconsin people at least. <laughs> Uh, we just fight over the UP. It's okay. Um, but uh, Will, uh, I'm, we're so thrilled to have Will this morning. He's bringing us a really special word, uh, speaking right into, I think, our moment in this season of 2020 and coronavirus and exhaustion. And I don't know about you, but these scriptures are just so moving and good. And so um, in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, they read the scriptures to the people and all the people hear God's word read, and then it says that the priests and the Levites would go around and give the sense of the scriptures. So we're so excited to have Pastor Will give us the sense of particularly this beautiful Jeremiah 29 passage this morning. So would you pray with me as I pray for Will? Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for uh, your servant Will and his wife Emma. We thank you for their gospel ministry and their hearts to give their family to the service of the kingdom of God. And Lord, we pray for him now that you would uh, give him that prophetic power to give us the sense in the way that we need to hear it and understand it. And oh Lord, we ask all of this in your name. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, Christ Church, it is <clears throat> really wonderful to be with you this morning and, uh, and to look at this incredibly beautiful passage in Jeremiah 29. So I encourage you, uh, if you're not there, to, to get a Bible and to open up to this passage so that you can follow along. Um, well, if you, if you would have asked me in sixth grade or so, you know, Will, what's your favorite book? Uh, I would not have said the Bible. I would have said this little yellow book called The Worst Case Scenario Handbook. The, I mean, you used to be able to find these at, like at Barnes & Noble at the checkout back when Barnes & Noble was still a thing. And, uh, and it just had all these like survival tips, you know, so that if you ever find yourself, you know, tumbling over a waterfall... This is how you should position your body, you know, so that you don't get hurt. Um, or if you ever find yourself in quicksand, here's what you should do to get out. And, uh, and I just thought these were, were so cool. And so later, you know, as I grew up, I became a fan of post-apocalyptic movies and books because they were on the same theme of survival. You know, what do you do in these really difficult circumstances? So a couple of years ago, this movie came out that you might have seen called A Quiet Place. Now, A Quiet Place, it's a PG-13 movie. It's a monster movie. So if you're a kid or, or you don't like monster movies, I'm not recommending it. Um, but if you do like monster post-apocalyptic movies, you'll love it. Okay, because it, it, it kind of follows the train of, of familiar, you know, movies like this, where, where there's a, a husband and a wife, and they're living on a farm, they have kids, and they're trying to survive. Um, and all of that's par for the course, but this is what's different, that the wife is pregnant. And I don't know if you're familiar with these kind of movies, but a pregnant wife in a post-apocalyptic world, this is, this is not one of the usual you know, cast of characters. They don't usually show up because it's, it's so absurd. I mean, who makes a baby 
at the end of the world, during the apocalypse. You just don't do it on, on the list of what should you do during an apocalypse. That's not one of them. And yet here she is, you know? Here she is, and, and the baby is coming, and life is still a gift, even in this vulnerable time. Um, what do we do when life feels uncertain? We don't do things like that. We don't take risks. We don't make long-term commitments. I mean, usually, we just hunker down, we bat in the hatches, and just wait for the storm to pass. And, uh, and this, is, this is relevant for us right now, because we're in the midst of this pandemic. We're in the midst of this time of social upheaval. There's, there's rumors of economic upheaval you know, coming on the horizon, and we just don't know what's coming. And so the, the posture that many of us take is a protective one. You know, how, do we, how do we protect ourselves? How do we just stay okay until the danger is over? And this is precisely the situation that Jeremiah is speaking into in Jeremiah chapter 29. What do we do in an uncertain world where the future is blurry and sometimes bleak. That's an incredible question. This is where we're at, and it's incredible the way that, that Scripture, you know, 2,500 years ago, can speak right into our situation. And so what I want to do this morning is just look at some of the context for this passage, because you're probably familiar with it, you know, this, this beautiful, you know, verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. And those words are beautiful, but you have to understand the context that they're being spoken into, the context of the exile. And so, so let's look at the context, and then let's, let's look at what Jeremiah calls the people to do in that setting. So, Jeremiah, who is he? Jeremiah is a prophet, you know, about 600 years before the time of Christ, and he's somebody who's called on by the people of God to speak into the present situations of the day. So what's happening? Well, the people of God, their city has just been run through by the Babylonians, the most powerful nation on earth. And the Babylonians have taken the best and brightest out of Jerusalem and taken them off to the capital city of Babylon, and, uh, and the people of God, they don't know what's coming next. Because what was, what was exile all about? What was the purpose of it? Well, for the Babylonians, they thought, you know, if you want to conquer a people, it's very different or difficult to just come in and occupy them. You know, it's, it's hard to keep them from rising up against you. But what can you do? You can take them out of their land. And not just to take their stuff, not just to take their property, but you can take them out of their land and you can make them like you. You can take their identity and so they take the best and the brightest, and they try to teach them to be Babylonians. They strip them of their culture and of their traditions and of their religion and of their language. Because when they're no longer Hebrews, then they'll no longer have anything to fight for. And this happens, this is a part of United States history. This is part of even the current history of our world um, happening in Western China even now. And so for these, for these exiles, their entire existence as a people is in doubt. Everything is upended, and they're right to wonder, Jeremiah, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do in this uncertain world? We're deep in enemy territory. How do we move forward? How do we interact with our new neighbors? How do we protect what we love? I mean, do you feel the weight of those questions? I certainly do. I mean, this is, exile, I think, is something that you've talked about when you're, uh, during your sermon series on 1 Peter. 
And what does it look like to be a Christian in the United States when, when everybody doesn't agree that Christianity is even a good thing anymore? What does it look like to be in exile here? Or the experience of, of racism is a kind of experience of exile, of feeling excluded or even targeted in your own home. Or this pandemic is a kind of exile where we're exiled from our normal ways of life, from the things that are important to us. So things like hosting others where we can't do that anymore, we feel like we lose part of ourselves. How do we raise children in a world where we can't send them easily on play dates, where we have to think through all of these safety precautions beforehand? I mean, how do we, how do we maintain our faith when we can't even gather together in person? During this pandemic, we feel like we're losing part of ourselves. The stakes are high. And so what do we do? What do we do when exile threatens our way of life? Do we assimilate? Do we give up and just give in to this new normal? Do we disengage and try to protect what we can? No, Jeremiah's got a different idea. Jeremiah says, here's what you need to do. You need to build. You need to plant. You need to multiply. So let's talk about that. Build, plant, multiply. That's not our, our normal course of action. And as we said, the temptation is to, to fall into this kind of passivity and wait for the storm to pass. And that temptation was the same for the Jewish people. In chapter 28, Jeremiah, is, he's talking about this prophet, Hananiah, who says this. He says, look, guys, wait two years, and then your exile is going to be over. God is going to overthrow Nebuchadnezzar. If you can just hold out for two years, the storm will pass. And the people loved hearing that. Even Jeremiah himself, who doesn't believe that, he loves hearing that. And he says, Hananiah, how I wish those words were true. How I wish it was true that in two years, all of this is going to be over. But that's not true. People of God, your exile will be long. This has been hard for us. I mean, if you think back like seven years ago at the beginning of this pandemic in March, I mean, that's what it's felt like, right? It's felt like it's been seven years. If you go back to the beginning of the pandemic, what, what were we thinking? We were thinking, okay, two weeks, two weeks shelter in place, and then we're going to be out of this. And then it's going to be Holy Week, and, and life's going to go back to normal. And then that didn't happen. And then we said, okay, well, how about two months? We'll get to Memorial Day. It'll be really tough, but then summer's going to come, and summer's going to kind of take care of the virus and we're gonna be okay, and that that didn't happen. And now here we are looking ahead to the fall, wondering when is this gonna be over? Is there a vaccine coming? Are we looking at February or could this stretch even longer? We wish that it could only be two years because it's very difficult to stare into an uncertain future and not fall into despair. It's very difficult to take a long-term perspective and not think, we just have to ride out the storm. I don't know what we're going to do. But Jeremiah has this different vision. He gives them an active vision. He gives them something to do. Build, plant, multiply. Look at verse 4. Thus says the Lord to the exiles, here are your instructions. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. In fact, take this long-term perspective. Think of the generations to come after them. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may have sons and daughters. Multiply and do not decrease. Build, plant, multiply. Do you notice how this is reminiscent of this earlier command that God has given his people? 
all the way back at the beginning of creation in Genesis chapter one, where God says to Adam and Eve, he's put them in the garden, and he says this, he says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over every living thing that moves on the earth. What does it mean to have dominion? To have dominion is to take the raw stuff of the earth, of plants and trees, it's to take the potential that's there and to build houses and to build civilizations, to build musical instruments, to build culture. That's what it means to to have dominion. And that's what Jeremiah is calling forth when he's telling the people of God to build, plant, and multiply. It's what we're created to do. God is a worker and a creator. And we are made to be workers and creators in his image. That's our calling. No matter who you are, that's your calling. And what Jeremiah is saying is that no matter where you are, no matter if you're in exile, your calling is the same. Build, plant, and multiply. Notice Jeremiah does not say, sit, stare, (laughs) scroll. I mean, one of the, the biggest dangers of this pandemic is passivity. It's losing ourselves to screens as a way of of dealing with our anxiety, of losing our our community or our family to idleness and disconnection, thinking, okay, this is hard, but it's just the way it has to be, and, and someday it'll go back to normal. Jeremiah is saying, don't lose sight of of your calling. Don't lose sight of those things that make you human. Take back your agency, even in exile, through building, planting, and multiplying. And so my my key question for for you this morning, Christ Church, is what would it look like for you to adjust your posture as you face into the fall, as you face into the uncertainty and not knowing when all of this is going to be over? What would it look like for you to adjust your posture and say, instead of, of, God, how long is this going to be? When's this going to be over? And saying, Lord, what would you have me do while I'm here? What would you have me do during the exile? It looks like taking ownership, taking ownership of your life. And so here are just a couple examples. Maybe one way is to take ownership of your neighborhood. I know in my neighborhood, I've gotten to know more of my neighbors in deeper ways in the last three months than I have during the last three years that we've lived there. And most of our neighbors are are much older than us, They're empty nesters, and what they love is seeing our kids out front playing in the front yard. And we come outside and we talk to each other, and we're not siloed in front of our computer screens talking to people that are way far away, but we're talking to people face-to-face, albeit maybe across a driveway 15, 20 feet away, but we're talking to them. I'm sharing my story. They're sharing their stories. We're building community, and this pandemic is making that possible. If you're a student and you're looking at going back to school, I mean, you could be afraid that, I I guess this is something we have to get through. We're gonna do this mask thing. It's gonna be awful. But maybe not. I mean, maybe you're gonna build a, a kind of community. You're gonna build a bond with the people around you that would not be possible if you weren't going through this trial together. Maybe those relationships are waiting for you. Maybe those insights that you're going to get from your studies are waiting from you or for you, but not if you're passive, not if you're just trying to get through this. It's only if you're actively looking, God, what do you have for me 
in this difficult season. And Christchurch, I mean, this is true for your spiritual lives. I mean, I know in, in our church context, the preaching of the word has meant so much more to us than the, in this season than it has maybe ever before. We're just realizing that we need the power of God. We need the insight of God speaking into our situation. And not just on Sunday, but all throughout the week. And so, yes, this time is difficult. But what does it look like for you to actively seek the Lord where he wills to be found during this season? In his word, in his sacraments, in the gathered community, even if it's socially distant. Because the Lord has something for you. He's shaping your church. He's pruning you so that as a church, you would be even more fruitful. But that only comes if you're actively looking for the Lord. If you're actively asking, Lord, what do you have for us in this difficult time? Because what he had for the exiles was to build, plant, and multiply, to take back their calling, their agency, even when the future looked completely in doubt, even in the midst of exile. So then Jeremiah goes on. Look at verse 7. He calls the exiles to look towards their new neighbors and to seek their shalom. Look at verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. That word welfare there, it's the Hebrew word shalom. It means, it means peace, but it means even more than peace. So if two friends are fighting, they don't have peace when they agree to stop fighting, but they have peace, they have shalom when they agree to work together for a common good. Shalom means the flourishing of a people. And so can you hear how odd and how backwards and maybe even how wrong it would be to these, to these Jews to be hearing, wait, seek the welfare of Babylon? Seek the welfare of our oppressors? How is this good news? How is this good for us? But God says, do it. Seek their flourishing. You see these people who are wrong in their ideas about religion and politics and all the rest, do you see them? Seek their flourishing. Seek their shalom. Help them to flourish in the way that I have designed people to flourish. In fact, pray to the Lord on this city's behalf, for in its shalom you will find your shalom. Pray for your enemies to come into wholeness and healthiness. And as they experience shalom, you'll experience shalom as well. What an incredible challenge this is for us today. Because, of course, what we want Jeremiah to say is seek the welfare of your own tribe. Seek the welfare of your own people, of your own party, of your own nation, of people who think like you. And define shalom however you would like. But that's not what he says. God says, I've defined shalom, and I want you to seek that for everyone. Even in this place of exile, even when you're living in enemy territory. And so this means two things for us. It means, number one, that as Christians, we can never escape the radical call of Jesus to love our enemies. In this current political climate that all of us find it so difficult and so demoralizing, this is our opportunity. 
This is time to love our enemies. This is what it looks like. And so whether, whatever contentious issue we're talking about, whether we're talking about policing or we're talking about the upcoming election or responses to the pandemic, we don't have a choice. We're not allowed to cancel people. We're not allowed to say their lives don't matter. We're not allowed to say their opinions don't matter. We have to love them. We have to seek their shalom. We've got to figure out what that looks like while we hold on to our own convictions. While we listen for the Lord, how do you want me to seek the shalom of the people around me? But that's always our task. And secondly, it means this, that we have to continue working for justice because there's no shalom without it. You can have prosperity as a nation without shalom, like Babylon, but you can't have peace. You can't have wholeness. You can't have healthiness. And so this means that, that we have to ask if systems and structures are still harming people in our society. Otherwise, in the words of Jeremiah, we're saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. See, God intends to bring about shalom. Even here in the United States, over our entire world, he intends to bring about shalom. And you cannot have shalom without justice. And so here's the deal. If we actually take this message to heart, the people are not going to understand what to do with us. Because in this world, it's one or the other. You either love your enemies or you seek justice. But you can't do both. You can't invite both of these camps into your house. But as the people of God, we have to. Because Jesus calls us to both. To love our enemies and to seek justice. And so this is a good time for us to just embrace our identity as exiles. Our first allegiance is to Jesus. Not to a a country or a party, even though it's fine to have allegiances there. Not to a, a certain system of ideas, even though it's fine to identify ourselves in those ways. But our first allegiance is always to Jesus. And we're reminding this world, you don't have to choose between justice and love. You can have both, even love for your enemies. Build, plant, multiply. Seek the shalom of the city. Do it all, even in exile, when the world is tearing at the seams. But how? How do we do that? We need more than instructions. We need Jeremiah to give us a promise. And that's what he does gives us this promise that your future is secure. Why are you able to go and build and plant and multiply? Because your future in Jesus is secure. Here's what we can put our hope in, that God is for shalom, that God is for you, and that God won't fail. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, verse 11, plans for shalom and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. That was true for these Israelite exiles whose grandchildren and great-grandchildren would one day return home. That was true for Jesus, who himself is exiled to the point of death and then brought back to sit in glory at his Father's right hand. That's going to be true for you and me if we are in Jesus through faith. Our exile is going to be long. We're going to be uncomfortable far longer than this pandemic. We're going to be uncomfortable until the Lord comes back. There's no doubt about any of that. But your future is secure. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. 
There is an end to this pandemic. There's an end to racism. There's an end to injustice because God is bringing us home. Your future is secure. Now, what would you do? What would you do if you knew that your future was secure? I'll tell you what I would do. If I knew with certainty that someday my future grandchildren and great-grandchildren would live in my house, do you know what I would do? I would go out today and I would buy the most beautiful tree and I would plant it in my front yard knowing that I would never see it in its beauty. It would always just be a little twig sticking up out of the ground, but I'd plant it for them so that they could enjoy its beauty. If you knew with certainty that the success of your company was gonna enable hundreds, maybe thousands of others to bring about flourishing for their families, then you would go about your work with all of your heart. If you knew that your investment in your neighborhood and in the people around you and in the community that God has gathered in Christ Church, if you knew that God was gonna use all of that to bring about a revival in Madison, to bring about shalom in this city so that others would look to Madison and see it as a place of God's presence and see it as an example of what can be true in cities all across this world. If you knew that your investment in this community would bring that about, you would be so present to the people around you, even in the midst of these difficulties. And so we don't have certainty of that. We don't have certainty that any of our preferred individual outcomes will actually happen but we have something better. We have certainty that God's preferred outcome is going to happen and that our small works, small though they may be, are part of the work of God in Jesus Christ to bring about shalom in our families, in our city, in this world. Praise God, hallelujah. So instead of asking, when will this be over? Let's start asking, Lord, what would you have me do? And let's hear him say, I'd have you build. I'd have you plant. I'd have you multiply. I'd have you seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you because your future is secure. And maybe you've never needed that kind of hope in your life. Maybe you've never needed that to live a productive and meaningful life. But maybe you do now. Maybe this pandemic has shaken you, has rattled you, where you don't feel like yourself, where you don't know what to believe and who to trust and how to move forward because the uncertainty just weighs so heavily on you. Maybe you need this word. Maybe you need this gospel truth that in Jesus, your future is secure no matter what this fall brings, no matter what the winter brings, no matter what anything or anyone can bring against you, your future is secure is secure. So Christ Church, as you look into this unknown future, may you feel the Lord spurring you on, spurring you to take agency, to take hold of your calling, to build, plant, and multiply, and seek the welfare of the city. Go plant a tree, build something beautiful, make a baby, or find someone else's to love. May your church multiply and expand for the shalom of this city and for the glory of God. And may you say to this exile, this isn't the end. My God is bringing me home. My God is bringing shalom. And in Jesus, my future is secure. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.